0: Irish and non-Irish alike, on March 17th, people all over the world, from the Emerald Isle itself to places as seemingly unlikely as Russia and Japan, come together to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Officially made a feast day in the early 17th century, St. Patrick's Day is both a cultural and religious holiday. It's both a commemoration of Christianity's arrival in Ireland and the celebration of Irish culture and identity in general. But who is the man behind the holiday? Who is Patrick? Although some of the dates regarding Patrick's life are still called into question, it's generally accepted that he lived during the 5th century AD or Common Era. And ironically, he wasn't Irish. He was what you would call Romano-British, one of those people living in Britain during those early centuries following the arrival of the Romans. This 5th century dating is based in part on Patrick's own writings. His quotation of the Vulgate or Latin Bible version of the Apostles' Creed and the fact that he describes the Franks as still being pagan suggests that he was writing no earlier than the beginning of the 5th century and no later than the close of the same. Perhaps you could say that the clergy was a family occupation. Although Patrick himself is thought not to have been actively religious prior to his conversion, his father, Calpurnius, was a deacon, and his grandfather, Potitus, was a priest. At the age of 16, Patrick was kidnapped from his home in Britain by Irish pirates and brought to Ireland, where he would spend the next six years living in captivity as a slave. In a work known as The Declaration, or in Latin, Confessio, or simply the Confession. Patrick writes the following, I was at that time about 16 years of age. I did not indeed know the true God, and I was taken into captivity in Ireland with many thousands of people. According to our deserts, for quite drawn away from God, we did not keep his precepts, nor were we obedient to our priests who used to remind us of our salvation. And the Lord brought down on us the fury of his being and scattered us among many nations, even to the ends of the earth, where I in my smallness am now to be found among foreigners. During his time in captivity, Patrick was forced to work as a shepherd. According to his own writings, this time in forced servitude was critical to the development of his faith. He spent time in prayer forging a relationship with God, which eventually led to his conversion. But after I reached Ireland, I used to pasture the flock each day, and I used to pray many times a day. More and more did the love of God and my fear of Him and faith increase. And my spirit was moved so that in a day, I said, from one up to a hundred prayers, and in the night a like number. Besides, I used to stay out in the forest and on the mountain, and I would walk up before daylight to pray in the snow, in icy coldness, in rain. And I used to feel neither ill, nor any slothfulness, because I now see the spirit was burning in me at the time. After six years, Patrick heard a voice saying, you do well to fast, soon you will depart for your home country. And again a very short time later, there was a voice prophesying, behold your ship is ready. Patrick fled his master, and after traveling a great distance, perhaps 200 miles, he found his ship and with some effort, managed to persuade the angry and resistant captain to take him on board. After three days at sea, the ship finally landed, presumably in Britain, although the confession isn't exactly clear. Patrick and the crew disembarked and wandered in the wilderness for 28 days. The crew, faint with hunger, began to complain. Patrick urged them to put faith in God, and according to Patrick, just then they came upon a herd of swine, or more specifically, most likely wild boar. The crew ate their fill and gave thanks to God, and according to Patrick, he became esteemed in their eyes. Unfortunately for Patrick, according to his own account, he soon found himself captive once again. The passages describing his second stint in captivity are rather brief, but they do tell us that this time he was held for a relatively short period of two months, in comparison with the long six years he had previously endured. Upon once again regaining his freedom, Patrick, now in his early twenties, finally managed to return back home to his family, They urged him not to stray from them. But after several years of studying Christianity, Patrick received a vision calling him back to Ireland. I saw a man coming, as it were, from Ireland. His name was Victoricus, and he carried many letters, and he gave me one of them. I read the heading, The Voice of the Irish. As I began the letter, I imagined in that moment that I heard the voice of those very people who were near the wood of Falkland, which is beside the Western Sea. And they cried out, as with one voice, We appeal to you, holy servant boy, to come and walk among us. One theory is that the mysterious Victoricus may have been a vision of Saint Vitricius, a bishop who purportedly visited Britain in the late 4th century. Vitricius was an interesting figure in his own right. He was the son of a Roman legionnaire, and he himself served in the Roman army too. After converting the Christianity, however, he refused to remain in the army. He was flogged and sentenced to death, but somehow managed to avoid execution. So, acting upon his vision, Patrick returned to Ireland, this time not as a slave, but as a cleric and a missionary. Tradition holds that his landing spot may have been Wicklow, at the mouth of what is the modern-day River Vartry, possibly the same port through which he fled Ireland six years prior. Tradition also holds that the locals weren't exactly welcoming, and so Patrick had to seek a landing place further north, among some islands off of the scariest coast. The one on which he landed became known as Inis Patrick, or the island of St. Patrick. After resting a number of days, Patrick moved into the mainland where he set about dedicating sanctuaries and converting pagans. According to the Confession, Patrick claims to have converted many thousands. He ordained priests to run the new Christian communities. He converted the sons of chieftains and sometimes made nuns of wealthy women, even against the wishes of their families. At one point he found himself standing trial facing accusations from fellow Christians. The confession of St. Patrick isn't exactly clear on the nature of the charges, but they may have had something to do with financial impropriety. Although Patrick states that he did not accept payment for performing baptisms nor ordaining priests, and that he even returned gifts given him by wealthy women. It seems that Patrick's refusal to accept gifts may actually have been part of the problem, Supposedly refusing gifts put him outside the legal protection granted by the normal bonds of kinship and affinity. Another source of information regarding the life of Patrick is a document known as A Letter to the Soldiers of Caroticus. One theory is that Caroticus was one and the same with a 5th century king named Saratic Guletic, a ruler of what is modern-day Dumbarton, while others propose that he was more likely a Roman Briton living in Ireland. The letter written by Patrick himself, now a bishop, was sent as a rebuke to the military leader and his men for their cruel treatment of some of Patrick's Christian converts, including killing them, selling them into slavery to non-Christians, and the giving away of, in Patrick's words, girls not yet women but baptized. Soldiers whom I no longer call my fellow citizens, or citizens of the Roman saints, but fellow citizens of the devils, in consequence of their evil deeds, who live in death after the hostile right of the barbarians, associates of the Scots and apostate Picts, desirous of glutting themselves with the blood of innocent Christians, multitudes of whom I have begotten in God and confirmed in Christ." The very next day after my new converts dressed all in white were anointed with chrism even as it was still gleaming upon their foreheads they were cruelly cut down and killed by the swords of these same devilish men at once i sent a good priest with a letter i could trust him for i had taught him from his boyhood he went accompanied by other priests to see if we might claw something back from all the looting most important The baptized captives whom they had seized, yet all they did was to laugh in our faces at the mere mention of their prisoners. It should be noted that some think that Patrick's sending of this contentious letter may have had something to do with how he found himself on trial, as previously mentioned. The Picts mentioned in the letter to the soldiers of Caroticus were ancient tribal peoples from parts of modern day Scotland. Specifically, the southern Picts may have been ministered to by a figure known as Palladius. Palladius is at the center of something known as the Two Patricks Theory. It's thought that there may have been some confusion between Patrick and Palladius, and that some deeds and events relating to Palladius may have been wrongly attributed to Patrick. Part of the confusion may be due to the fact that according to the Book of Armagh, Palladius' name was also Patrick. Irish annals compiled later in the 6th century record Palladius' arrival in Ireland being in the year 431, and Patrick's being one year later in 432 although the date of Patrick's arrival may have been changed in order to lessen the distance between the time of his own arrival and Palladius's. We know that March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, is supposedly the calendar date on which Patrick died, but the exact year is a matter of contention. In the year 457, the quote-unquote Elder Patrick is said to have died, but that may have been referring to Palladius. The annals in 461 or 462 record that, here, some record the repose of Patrick, and again, in 492 or 493, they tell of the death of Patrick, the archapostle or archbishop and apostle of the Scotty or Irish, on the 17th of March, at the amazing age of 120. Perhaps what's most memorable about St. Patrick are the colorful legends. One of the most famous stories tells of how Patrick used the shamrock with its three leaves to explain the concept of the Holy Trinity to the Irish. The story in written form seems to date back to the 18th century, but may have existed previously in oral tradition. The fact that the pre-Christian Irish were already familiar with the concept of triune deities, and that they already viewed the number three as having mystical significance, may have made them more receptive to the doctrine of the Trinity. One example of an Irish triple deity is Morrigan, or Phantom Queen or Great Queen, a war goddess who often took the form of a crow, but who was also sometimes embodied as three separate female divinities. Perhaps it is no coincidence that Patrick, along with Bridget and Columba, is one of three patron saints of Ireland. Perhaps the most beloved and well-known story concerning St. Patrick is the legend of how he drove the snakes out of Ireland. As the story goes, Patrick was fasting atop a hill when he was attacked by snakes, he drove them down into the sea and banished them from the Emerald Isle. The myth probably arose as an attempted explanation for the conspicuous absence of snakes in Ireland. But sadly, it would seem that, as entertaining as the tale is, it's merely apocryphal. Like many post glacial islands, Ireland never had any snakes. Another strange and amusing tale is that of the so called Scarry's Goats. When Patrick was forced to land on the island that would come to bear his name, he was accompanied by a goat. One day while he was off evangelizing, people from Skerries, a small seaside town, came ashore to his island and took his goat and ate it. Patrick was so angered that he jumped from one island to another, leaving a foot imprint in the rock. When he asked the people to admit what they had done, they lied, so he took their power of speech and left them only with the ability to bleat like goats until they admitted their wrongdoing. To this day, the people of Scaries are still sometimes referred to as the Scaries' Goats. Another story involves Patrick's ashwood staff, or walking stick. Supposedly, Patrick had a habit of thrusting the staff into the ground while he evangelized. At a place that came to be known as Aspatria, or Ash of Patrick, his message took so long to get through to the people, that by the time he had finished, the staff had taken root and turned into a living tree. There are three relics of Patrick connected to an old legend. Supposedly, Columba, or Columkill under direction of an angel, unearthed three artifacts from the tomb of St. Patrick about 60 years after his death. One was St. Patrick's Bell, also known as the Bell of the Testament. Columkill sent the bell to Armagh. On a side note, Patrick is said to have been the first bishop of Armagh. Another famous Bishop of Armagh is Bishop James Usher, born in the 16th century and famous for trying to calculate the age of the earth by adding up the genealogies in the Bible. Today the Bell of St. Patrick resides at the National Museum of Ireland. The other two relics were Patrick's goblet, which was sent to down, and the so-called angel's gospel, which Colum Kill kept for himself. By the 7th century, Patrick was already considered a revered patron saint of Ireland. For most of the first millennium, sainthood was bestowed on a local level, so Patrick has never been officially canonized by a pope, but he is still widely revered by various sects including Catholics and even English-speaking Orthodox Christians living in Ireland, the UK and the US. Despite the lack of official canonization, Patrick is also considered to be a quote-unquote saint in heaven and is included in the list of saints. Today's St. Patrick's Day is celebrated all over the world, from places as disparate as Russia, Malaysia, Japan, and Argentina. Perhaps somewhat surprisingly, Argentina has the fifth largest Irish community outside of Ireland. Some celebratory traditions include the wearing of the green, lively parades, and of course the consumption of alcohol. Drinking alcohol on St. Patrick's Day may seem like a stereotype but it's thought to have become a custom at least in part due to the lifting of Lenten restrictions on eating and drinking alcohol on St. Patrick's Day. The wearing of the green on St. Patrick's Day is said to date back to the late 17th century when people began wearing shamrocks and green ribbons. From humble slave to patron saint, the colorful legend of St. Patrick lives on in the hearts of Irish and non-Irish alike. Happy St. Patrick's Day and thanks for listening.